Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 227. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 227 you're listening to. My guest today is Wesley Slover. Wesley is a sound designer and composer who is the founder and owner of Sonosanctus.com. And he is in the business of creating sound design and music for films, ads, apps, games, installations, and hardware with an emphasis on the intersection of sound and music. And some of his clients include Dolby, Spotify, Casper, Google, Facebook, the Atlanta Falcons, and Airbnb. Wesley Slover coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So let's talk about FOMO or fear of missing out. I think I have that acronym right. If I'm wrong, please send me an email and correct me. But you know, it's the whole thing where people are posting on social media of their fabulous beach vacation drinks in hand or posting pictures of their fancy cars, which personally I find bizarre. Anyways, they're posting things that bring about feelings of envy or injustice or jealousy or bad feelings. Or maybe they make you feel happy because you know you're going to be going on some great beach vacation. I'm wondering if that fear of missing out ever hits any of you all as audio professionals when people are posting studio equivalent shots. So in other words, you know, pictures of the drum set beautifully mic'd up in the beautiful tracking room or, you know, the long shot of the Neve console that you don't have or that you you haven't had access to or something like that. Or maybe it's just, you know, one of those another great day in the studio or another great day in the office kind of things or here's the office for today. Or maybe it's people with their feet up on the console. Daryl Thorpe, you know who, who I'm talking about there. I love you, Daryl. You can keep your feet up on the console. You keep kicking ass. Anyhow, I'm wondering if that is the case. Do people see those pictures and then react with jealousy or envy and want to go out and buy gear or get into a a deep funk of depression? Uh, I hope you don't get into that deep depression. If you do, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to turn that around and turn it into inspiration. Turn it into inspiration for yourself to go kick ass. Maybe you're in the middle of a project you need to finish and the client's wondering, hey, where's my mix? Or maybe you drop the ball on following through with a client. Whatever it is, make sure that you fulfill whatever it is you need to do. Contact the client, finish the project, start the conversation, take somebody to coffee, give somebody a phone call, finish your website. Uh, Do whatever it is you need to do to help get you to that state. Now, I'm not saying we all need to get to a state of posting pictures on social media, but you can if you want. But the whole point is, is use that envy if you have it to focus on what you need to get done rather than getting into a funk. So I'm not telling anybody out there to censor their postings by any stretch, please post away. But if you, uh, if you are on the receiving end and you're not feeling good about seeing those posts, then get inspired. Go do something, make it happen, follow through, and then get off social media and get to work. 
Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Wesley Slover here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Wes, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. And you're coming to me over Google Hangouts, and you are located where? I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So it's a mid-sized city between Chicago and Detroit. So you came to me as a recommendation off the suggestion form, which we have on the website. And one of the reasons that your name stuck out to me is the description of what the person had wrote. And it kind of pointed me to the fact that your company, Sonos Sanctus, does a wide variety of basically a combination of songwriting as well as audio jobs for corporate customers. Does that, is that accurate? Yeah. What we call ourselves is a sound and music design company. And it distinguishes us a bit because I think more typically we would be like a sound design company 
and composition company. But the way that we approach our work is like we tend to think almost more like graphic designers or motion graphics designers, where we use sound and music and mixing as our tools to uh, achieve the goals of our clients. So it's a distinction that we make just more in the sense of how we think about our work and kind of how we feel like we fit into the greater audio professional world. Well, let's go back. Where did audio and music into your life on the professional level? Where did you transition from an interest, a possibility to something serious? You know, originally I went to school because I wanted to be a record producer. And then kind of quickly into that, I realized like it was going to be hard to have the sort of lifestyle I wanted and like work with bands and all of that. But then I discovered sound design for film and for video games and, and all of that. So I guess I guess that's kind of where my career started was in school. Then I had an internship after school that was really great, but didn't turn into a job. And so my first like real full time paying job was at a large church doing audio engineering for them. What kind of stuff were you doing there? Were you just running the, the house sound or was it more complex than that? Yeah, we did a lot of stuff. So it was pretty big. So we had a couple different rooms that we'd run like front of house sound in. And then we had a radio broadcast too, an AM radio broadcast. We did that. And there were some recording as part of our, our jobs. And they they distributed a lot of like sermons and stuff too. So actually my, my very first job there was like, they called me the cassette tape guy <laughs> <laughs> because there are a lot of senior citizens in the congregation who still wanted to be able to like get a cassette tape from the preacher or whatever. So yeah, I was like duplicating cassette tapes. And my boss there was really great at sort of transitioning me from the cassette tape guy, you know, into getting to do more engineering. You should get a t-shirt that says that, cassette tape guy. <laughs> well, those members of that congregation would be like right in style now, apparently, because cassettes are making a, a significant comeback to some degree, but that's that's a topic for another show. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about that and what did that transition into? I was there for about five years total. And what was really great is that my boss was a really great manager and was a good engineer. And then there's another engineer there who had a lot more experience and I learned a ton. You know, I think that experience for me was really beneficial because I didn't really want to do live sound. It was kind of scary to me. And the experience of having to do things on the fly and really quickly it taught me how to just try to do stuff right the first time or how to be more comfortable improvising. So I, I took those skills to to my kind of just side projects. I was always making electronic music in my spare time. I was trying to work on little indie films and that kind of stuff. And the thing that was, I think, really the the main project, I think, that kind of moved me into a new specific career direction was for a friend who uh, was a friend of a friend who was doing an animation for his wife's blog. And my buddy recommended me as, oh, cool, it sounds interesting. And did the sound design for that. And what I realized, it was really fun to work with this style of animation where things are all really abstract and it's a lot of quick transitions. So I could make sound effects that were very musical and fit with the music track that he had in there. Hmm. And after doing that, I, he posted online and it got quite a bit of traction on Vimeo. I think it had like 20,000 views on Vimeo from other motion graphics designers. And at the time, I didn't even know what motion graphics were. And realize there's this whole community of of animators and designers who are making, you know, making animations all the time, whether it's for commercial clients or for their own test projects and short films and that kind of stuff. So I started working more, collaborating more with people through Vimeo, like who had commented on it. So it was the guy was like, oh, the sound and sound of music of this was really cool. So I sent him a message. I was like, oh, thanks. I'm getting started. You know, your, your work is really interesting, too. Do you want to work on stuff? And it just kind of kept snowballing. 
And it was a chance for me to practice my craft in sort of a safe space where I'm, you know, not on the clock and not with a client. And the more that I did that, I, I, you know, I was kind of going, okay, well, what's the next step? Like, how do I turn this into a job? And I was in Seattle at the time. They're just like not a lot of people hiring for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was just going to take me going freelance probably to do this kind of work more regularly. So yeah, at a certain point, kind of working towards that. And at a certain point, you realize with freelancing with this the schedules are really tight with these videos. So I basically had to just be available when people needed me so I couldn't have another job and kind of dove in. <laughs> I want to go back just a, just a brief second to the church thing. It's occurring to me now, and I never really considered it because I've never done it, but you know, some people want to get involved in audio and getting an internship at a studio is not always possible. Uh, studios are closing. A lot of studios are very uh, close knit and kind of go by recommendation of word of mouth of friends of, of the studio. So if you're not like in with the studio, so to speak, or the studios in your area, the church actually presents a possibility of a place to go and learn audio or be able to be around audio because it seems churches are becoming well it doesn't seem they are there's a whole industry of it of worship audio so it seems that you could get experience in that way in your time at your particular church that you were the cassette guy at to start with and eventually <laughs> moved on to other things were there any mentors there that you really look back on and say wow that that person really really taught me a lot about things in audio that I now apply to my daily audio world. Yeah. So my boss, Jeff Blackburn, was awesome because his background professionally before was more in like retail and that kind of stuff. But he'd always been doing audio for churches and taking that really seriously as well. So I learned a lot from him in terms of the engineering, but also like, how do you like work with a team? And then how, how are you the audio guy in a place that is not about audio? So working with the, the different leadership at the church. I uh, learned a lot from him and he he offered like just a ton of opportunities for us to have a chance to lead things. And he placed a high value on teaching us how to kind of do what he does, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for that because I think I use that a lot in my work now. And Jesse Stewart was the engineer who was there before me. And he's just really thoughtful, just good live sound engineer. And so he, he I mean, he taught me pretty much everything I knew about running live sound. And it was cool because we'd have really small events where it's like, okay, you've got like a band, but it's in a small room or you have, okay, we, we're doing like a gospel choir in a, you know, large traditional Presbyterian big sanctuary. And then we're doing a modern group in a big sanctuary. So he was able to sort of teach me how do you, how do you approach each of these different things in the space? Cause you know, we really, there are just so many considerations about monitors and mic choices and how loud things could get and how the volume of everything used to fit in the service and EQing lav mics to sound good and clear and intelligible in a big room. So yeah, they, I, I learned a ton from both of them. It's really an interesting environment because not only do you deal with musicians, which most audio professionals who deal in music are expecting, but you're also dealing with those who don't do music and the general public, you know, whether it's a guest reader or other people who you have to interact with. So I think it's kind of an interesting training ground on a number of fronts because of how you interact with people and, and the variety of people that you deal with. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at with 
the way that my boss was really good at working with all these different people. Cause like you said, if you have a, if you're a recording studio, you're working with bands in the music industry, but you know, we were working with, yeah, all kinds of people, whether they're just volunteers or whether they were the family of the bride <laughs> for a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. All those different contexts. It really makes you sort of, I don't know. For me, it made me really understand that like my job is to serve all of these people and their vision and accomplish that. Yeah, you get that when you're making a record, but it, it really is like on a different level when there's kind of more layers of that. Do you feel that a, a non-religious person could function effectively in that type of environment in a, in a church environment? I think it depends. One of my good friends from school was an atheist and worked for a church and he actually he really liked it and really got along well with with people there. I think it probably depends. It, I mean, it really depends on what the church is you know what they believe and how they believe it and how you get along with everybody i mean i think there's some church jobs where if you're not on the same page with them it's going to be miserable for you <laughs> um <laughs> and there's some where they're just totally happy that you're there helping out and like part of the team i think i'd have a hard time making a blanket statement at this point i mean i'm, I'm like completely burned out on like the church music sound thing like i go to like a unitarian universalist church that has organ music you know <laughs> like that's kind of what i like at this point yeah and i would have a really hard time going to like do sound at like a mega church or something just because of my experiences and my you know what i believe about things and stuff i guess my question is a non-answer no <laughs> no that that's depends. fine but the person who would consider that job should consider those aspects yeah if you personally can align with that church and and what it's preaching so to speak be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's always hard to say because, you know, I mean, if you really need a job, you really need a job. But I would really warn people from feeling like they, oh, they need to sort of act like they're somebody that they're not to, you know, get hired. Right. Because ultimately, it's not going to be probably satisfying. It's probably going to be frustrating. But, you know, at the same time, if you need, if you really need a job, you really need a job. Right. I wouldn't pass like judgment on somebody. Good information. So take me back to these animations and the progression of that, the trajectory of that. Where did where did you take that? Yeah, so it was mostly connections through Vimeo at the time. I mean, Vimeo is still really big, but it, I think the community is less focused around Vimeo than they used to be for, for motion graphics and animation. So yeah, my process was really just continuing to reach out to people who had seen my work because you could see if someone likes or comments on it. And so it kind of like fans out from there, right? Because the more things I worked on, the more people would see my work and the more people I could reach out to. Mm -hmm. Then designers started reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I'm working on this thing for such and such a client. Do you want to do sound design for it? And originally I was only planning on doing sound design. I had made music in my spare time and grew up as like a band geek. But I, after school, I was like, I'm not going to try to make a living as a composer making music. That's like way too competitive. But people started asking me to do music. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I can do that. And it started to develop more of a style where sound design and music were really interconnected. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really appealing to that, that kind of group because it really makes the animation feel like everything is kind of locked together rather than just like there's animation and then there's like a music track kind of thrown underneath it that it doesn't fit and match quite as well. So the more more people kept reaching out to me and I got to the point where I could just freelance and then I just did that all the time where I was working on personal projects as much as I could and then more and more projects kept coming in until I was actually making a living. <laughs> so were you just operating out of your home at that time? Yeah. So at that time, like to paint the picture, I was living in a, it's a great neighborhood in Seattle it's called Fremont right down by the water, but we were totally broke. So we were in like a 500 square foot apartment. And it was like three months before my daughter was born, our first child. 
And so at first I was working out of our 500 square foot apartment. And then I got an active space down the street, which is like, I don't know if those are outside of Seattle, but they're like creative artist spaces, but it's essentially just like a plywood box <laughs> that you rent. <laughs> It worked, but it was the absolute worst thing you could have for like a studio because there's hardly any sound isolation and the whole place is just super noisy. But I was able to make that work. Then we we, we had my son 15 months later <laughs> and moved to a two bedroom apartment. And so I was working out of one of the bedrooms and our kids shared the other bedroom. And so, yeah, I was working out of the house at a two bedroom apartment with two kids. And that was pretty stressful. But business kept growing and, <laughs> you know, made it work. And occasionally kids sounds made it way into your recordings. Hopefully not too much. But I mean, I use them now. I'd be like, oh, cool. There's a kid, you know, yelling in this thing like, hey, Ingrid, come here. <laughs> you know, I need a little thing. Yeah. You want to make they some money? They love it. They love it. It's like the most fun thing to them. <laughs> well, so this obviously reached a, a, a point where you had to get out of your living space. Well, kind of. What we needed was a bigger living space. Okay, okay. The way I explain it is like sort of I started doing this work from home remote thing as a necessity because I was finding all my clients through Vimeo uh -huh. online. But I had some local clients, but really I wasn't like stuck with the Seattle market. And, you know, I did it because of cost. I just, there's no way I would have been able to afford afforded like a studio space in Seattle. And so we were considering kind of where we wanted to live and, and all that. And so we ended up moving back to Grand Rapids where I am now, uh, where my wife's family is from and rented a much bigger place. And so I had my studio in the attic there. And then now we, we own a house. And so my studio is out of a spare room in our house. I'm at the point, I mean, I could get a commercial space somewhere. I mean, we could even, you know, move to New York and open a studio or something. But I grew to like really like working from home because I have lunch with my kids every day. I have a lot of flexibility where if a client on the West Coast needs something really urgent in the evening, I can pop into the studio and do it without having to leave the house. Or if I'm waiting for revisions or notes from a client, I can go play Smash Brothers with my kids or that kind of stuff. <laughs> I feel like it's helped me to be very available to my clients, but also really available to my family and just my own life and all that. So this afternoon, I'll probably just go out for a run because it's sunny outside and I can and I can just work a little bit later this evening where I wouldn't have that flexibility in a more commercial space. Right. Right. Well, so what does Sonos Sanctus mean? It means sacred sound. Okay. And is it essentially just you? So it's it's me. It's a full-time sound designer and engineer. And it's an eight-hour-a-week sound designer engineer. And then we have a network of contractors that we work with. So actually, this week, last past weekend, five of us were up here in Michigan for a little company retreat. So it's those two guys that I mentioned. And then a sound designer composer in LA who we collaborate with a lot. And then a sound designer composer in Raleigh, who we work with a lot. And then we have other contractors who are kind of even more like on the peripheries, like specialists. So we work with a composer who he's written cues for like Destiny 2, Forsaken, Call of Duty, Guild Wars. So if I need big orchestral cinematic music, I call him up because he's just so good at it. But we don't have to do it all the time. So it's not really something that we would do in-house as much. So yeah, there's a few people like him. And we have a technical sound designer that we bring in occasionally. So we have the capability of doing a lot of different things. But ultimately, it's a pretty tight-knit team. You stay very involved now, I assume. Yes. My assumption would be that when you grow that much that you essentially become a general contractor and you can farm out all the different aspects of the job, but how involved are you? So the way that we, we structure in general 
is that if a project is music, then I'm usually leading that and doing most of the work in Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. If it's only sound design and mix, then a lot of times my colleague Trevor will, will take care of that and kind of manage the interactions with the client and that kind of stuff. So we've been able to kind of divide the management up like that. But I still, I do a lot of the work. I, you know, I'm a creative director in a way, but also I make a ton of music and sound design and all that. At this point, I don't really mix anymore because the other guys are better at it than me. Mm -hmm. So it's great. We're like, I think a, a typical project is say, okay, a client has an animation, needs sound, music, and a mix. A lot of times I'll do the music for it and then Trevor will sound design it and then Chad will do the final mix. So it's great because I can be involved with it, but not doing all of it. So each of us can have a little smaller piece, have a little bit more perspective on it than when you're grinding out the whole thing yourself. Well, what have been the challenges of moving this from a one-man operation to a multi-person multi team? The hardest thing is finding people who are available. So the trick is our our schedules and everything are just incredibly last minute. Either it's the case where, so like today I got a request for a commercial that needs to ship on Friday and the animation's not done. And so that's something where like I couldn't schedule somebody ahead of, as a Tuesday now I should say for context of the recording. So that's something I couldn't schedule somebody. I can't say, hey, you know, are you available this time to mix it because it, it's happening so quickly that it, it's not very reliable. And the other problem is that the schedules of these projects change constantly. So since we're sound design and mix is always at the very end of an animation, if anything changes in the schedule, then our whole schedule moves. So our whole model is very fluid and flexible. And so I've needed people who are kind of in a similar situation to me where they are in their studio all the time. And they also have this sort of fluid schedule and they can kind of be flexible as I need and I can be flexible as they need and we can kind of make it work that way. And so the problem is, you know, people who are talented are often too busy or they're on staff somewhere and you need to like hire them full time where we kind of have had more of a bring people in as contractors and slowly build up like how much they work if if they want to or if they have time. It, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. How many full time people do you have? There's only two of us that are full time. That's a lot of hats to wear, really, because I'm sure you could hire somebody just to do the scheduling and the project management. Yeah, and we're actually in the process of, of getting a project manager. But the problem was, I got really lucky that we found somebody who is a great fit, and he only wants to work 25 hours a week, and then he manages his own studio in the rest of that time. Because we wouldn't be able to bring on a 40-hour-a-week producer. Right. But I can't have somebody who's only available like a couple days a week, because if I need to have a call with a client or something, we have to have it. <laughs> they don't really wait. <laughs> well, this is an interesting possibility here because you don't need to hire somebody full time for some of these tasks, but there's audio people out there for whether it be mixing or mastering or editing to some degree that you need to call on. So I assume like a producer who has a good Rolodex of musicians, you have a good Rolodex of audio professionals as well. Yeah. And, and actually, kind of the next level of that is that we have a Slack channel for our company. Mm -hmm. But as I have friends or colleagues or connections who go freelance, I invite them to join our Slack. It's not just that I reach out to somebody and call them up. It's somebody that we are constantly chatting and, and talking already. And there's a real back and forth. For instance, with Ambrose, the guy in LA we work with all the time, he used to work for me a lot when he first started freelancing. And then once he got his work going more, now we don't work together as much. But a lot of times he'll come 
come to us with projects that are big scale because he really wants to be more of a one-man show kind of composer and doesn't want to run a company. But we're really in a great position where if he gives a project, say it's five videos for Google that all need sound design and music, where he can do the music and then we can handle as much of the project management and the sound design and the mixing as he wants us to do. Hmm. Another example of that is we did five short films for The Verge. And I composed music for some of them that were a better fit for me. He composed music for some of them. We passed off sound design and mixing. And it's a great like two-way street where it's not just, oh, hey, I need to hire you for this gig. We are always already kind of working together. And we, we think of ourselves like a collective, really, that we have our own jobs. We hire each other out for jobs as we can. And we've all like really enjoy that. It's not just, oh, I really need help on this. We kind of look for opportunities to work together because it's just more fun. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of trust there. We really work well together. That's more of how I would describe like how how I we hire people for jobs compared to Rolodex. Because it's it's really hard to call somebody up that you haven't talked to in a little while and plug them in on a project. Right. Where for us, that same Slack is where we are managing our projects. So it's super easy for me to send someone a message, say, hey, do you have some availability to help out on this? And he goes, yeah, set up the channel, boom, we're already like right there. We've got a Dropbox system for all of our sessions. So like right now, as I'm recording this, it's uploading to Dropbox. And all of our projects, as we work on them, they upload to Dropbox so that we can pass stuff around really easily. Do you guys just record directly to Dropbox? Yeah, so well, so we use the like Finder extension. So we record to where our, our Finder folder is, and then that goes up to Dropbox, and then also to like our backup system and everything. Oh, interesting. Well, so let's talk about the, the clients. How do you get the work? What's the process there? Right now, they reach out. <laughs> oh, it, it literally... Yeah, I mean, at this point, we're at capacity. You know, that's why we're bringing in a project manager where we can really open up ourselves to do more stuff. But we do a a bit of reaching out. But at this point, we don't even really have time to keep up with our social media and promoting ourselves. So I think the way that people find us is they see work that we've done that other animation studios post and then reach out to us that way. But I also, I'm pretty involved in the motion graphics community. Like, I feel like I'm more tied into what's going on in motion graphics than I am in audio engineering. Mm-hmm. Just because those are all the people that we work with. So like if I go to a conference, it's for a an animation conference, not a, a music conference or a sound conference. So there's a lot of it as just kind of being in that community already. I think it sort of uh, naturally promotes our company. That makes a lot of sense to me because you could spend your time with your peers And that's great because you can learn a lot from your peers, but at the same time, you're not really going to get too much work unless, you know, they're passing you a gig, which is here and there. But it seems like you've placed yourself in where your clients are so that those business interactions can happen. Yeah, totally. And and that's kind of, I think, in part why we call ourselves a sound and music design company is we see ourselves as kind of the same thing. We just have a different medium that we work in, Mm -hmm. but like our process and everything is, is more similar. And, you know, my whole philosophy has just been make friends and make interesting work. It's felt really amazing to be able to do this without having to go to agencies with sales meetings. It's amazing to just have authentic friendships and reach out to people and go, oh, your work is really cool. And so, oh, yeah, I saw this thing you did. That was really neat. Yeah, it'd be really fun to work together sometime. You know, that kind of thing. I don't really know what we would do if I wanted to be the kind of company, like a much larger company, where you really had to have sales and push yourself in that way. But this has worked really well for us. It just feels good. It feels authentic. I'm curious. I'd like to dissect your relationship with your clients a little more, the bigger clients. You've got clients like, if I recall, you've got Google and... Facebook, Airbnb. We do a lot of work for Casper. A lot of Bay Area companies. Yeah, I could list a bunch of them, but... uh, 
those are some good examples i feel like of kind of more of what our work tends to to be in well so that raises the question being a bay area person so bay area companies are reaching out to you how do you price yourself in the market you're in grand rapids michigan cost of living is much lower do you price yourself competitively do you feel or are you able to charge what somebody in say new york or los angeles would charge it's hard to say because with music especially it's so much based on the license which is wildly different depending on where you're getting music from so like if you go to like a cheap stock music place it can be 50 bucks if you go to an expensive one it can be 10 grand i I think we place ourselves kind of in definitely like mid-tier like we we don't want to price ourselves as the absolute cream of the crop luxury studio because i don't i don't really like the pressure that comes along with with some of that if that makes sense Mm -hmm. there's some studios that you command really high rates and i feel like some of our work is comparable but we're definitely not doing that level of work all the time we don't have that level of resources Mm -hmm. i I mean i definitely don't price myself like a grand rapids company i don't really have many clients here partly for that reason the the reason i like to work with local clients is because i I just like to get to know people in the area and it's a really great creative community there just isn't the kind of money you know that there is in the bay area yeah. I guess there's not that kind of money really anywhere. <laughs> but I, I guess I have a hard time knowing how to answer that. I'd say I'd say we're probably pretty comparable. I mean, I charge more now than I did when I was in Seattle just because we've grown as a company. And my colleague is in Seattle too. So right. we, we're not totally super low overhead. But yeah, the other on the other hand, it's like I do have a lot less pressure so I can be flexible depending on what the project is. To me, what's important is that I'm not devaluing things that I under I understand to have more value just because I'm doing it remotely. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. What are the things you dislike about your gig and what are the things you like? Hmm. It's a long list of dislikes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that I probably dislike the most is just when we get to the point where I feel like we have too much stuff all happening at the same time and I'm not able to really give each of my clients like the attention that I want to. So like the schedules for these projects are just nuts. They're really slim margins where we have maybe 24 hours to turn something around. And then because everybody, all these schedules are all moving, occasionally it happens where a lot of those kind of stack up on top of each other mm-hmm. and we're kind of scrambling to make it work. And there's really like no way we can do that unless we want to say, no, we, we can't do it. We can't be flexible. So those that's the least my least favorite part of my, my gig. I think it's the like unpredictability of it all. And just some of the general tracking down invoices is such a headache. (laughs) You know, the more administrative stuff. For me, my dream has been to have a project manager who can take care of all that stuff for me so I don't have to think about it. Okay. Who can just take care of all the details of projects. And there's a lot of that that I don't mind that much on its own, but it's really hard where, okay, I've got two days to write this piece of music, but I also have to respond to client questions coming in or every time I send something, they might come back with a bunch of revisions or they might come back saying they just don't like it at all and I need to start over. Oh, 
God, that's so that, gotta be there's like a lot of anxiety. Yeah, that. Is, is that that's pretty demoralizing, I bet. Yeah, it's you know, I don't mind it that much, the demoralizing part, but it's the scheduling and am I going to be able to get everything done kind of mindset because you never really know how long it takes to make a piece of music for a client to be happy with it. Do you take a piece of music all the way to completion for them? Yeah. So what we do, and maybe this is like one of my favorite parts of the job now is I've got a library of just music that I've written that we use for licensing. Mm -hmm. Technically, it's 550 tracks, but as far as actually like usable stuff, it's more like 350 or 400. So I really like writing music and bringing in friends to write music for our library to build it up. And then anytime I'm doing music, I start by pulling tracks from my own library. And then that kind of gives our clients the choice to either customize that or to start something, but based off of the feedback I got from the stuff that I pulled for them. Is it a custom thing? So if a company comes to you and says, hey, we have an animation or we have an in-house video or, or we're going to do some you know, particular thing that the public will see, do you create something from scratch or does the company say, hey, we could take some stock piece of music and it's non-exclusive and we just need this done? It totally depends. But every time somebody asks for music, I lay out, here's, here's if you want to license a piece from my library as is. And I say, we'll edit the stereo file to match the length as best we can, but it's not customized. And then offer customized library music, which I feel like is our most probably popular thing right now, because it makes the process a lot easier that we start with something that's already mostly done, but then it still feels tailored to what they're doing. Or there's the option to do original music. And a lot of, I try to keep that open because if we pitch stuff and we find out that, oh yeah, this track, just pulling it off my hard drive works great, then like, awesome. You saved your clients some money, it saved us some time, everybody's happy. So because we offer sound design and mixing, you know, we are more involved in projects. We're not like a storefront that somebody just can go to and pick the song that they like and drop it in. Right. But We've also, there is like kind of the other synergy where if we are doing sound design and mixing for a project, we say, oh, did you need some music? And they go, oh, we don't know. We're going to probably look at website XYZ and go, oh, well, okay, here's some tracks from our library that might be a good fit. This is what it would cost if you want it. It's been kind of a nice way to like sell our music through the back door. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, so this seems like you are working all the time based on what you're saying. Do you find it difficult to have a good work-life balance? You did mention working from home and, and you, are, you are able to eat lunch with the kids or, or, you know, go play games with the kids. But in the bigger picture, how does all this fit in the context of your life? I feel like for in the last couple of years, I feel like my work and life balance has been really great. And I'm, I'm super thankful for that. It was really hard before I had Trevor on full time. And now now that I have him helping out with so much and as we're hiring more people, you know, my goal is really to only be actually busy 30 hours a week or something like that. So I can spend more time developing projects or just having like the brain space to do a better, better job on things. And I would say like practically speaking, I tend to work like 40 hours a week. And but sometimes Weeks will be crazy. Like we did a presentation in Seattle at an architectural firm. So we did a lot of work preparing for that. And that week I was working till pretty late at night to take care of our work because we were happened to be busy then. And then also prepare for that presentation, which is kind of, you know, above and beyond like technically what we have to do to pay the bills. The way it kind of fits into my schedule, though, is I take my kids to school every morning, for the most part, have lunch with them every day for a half hour. And then I will finish my work day by like 630. And if I have to work more, 
we'll have dinner as a family and I'll hang out with the kids and stuff. And then I'll come back to work in the evening. So that gets tiring. But at the very least, it really does feel like there is a balance. And I feel like my work and life are very integrated in a way that's been healthy and, and helpful. That if I have some downtime one week, we can go to the zoo or something. You know, if, if I work more the other week, then that's okay because we went to the zoo during the workday before. Do you ever have any regrets? Do you ever feel like you compromised at all with regards to your original dream of being a record producer? I am so much happier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. No, I, what I realized is the reason I got into recording is because I realized I like to make stuff. And at the time, it was like making albums with bands is the way that I can make stuff in music and whatnot. But now like what I'm really passionate about is things that use sound and music, but not for music's sake. I like not being a musical artist. I like that every time I make a piece of music, it serves a purpose and that I can objectively decide, did this accomplish what we're trying to do or did it not? And I really love that we were having a meeting in an architectural firm and talking about, okay, well, how can you use sound design to make wayfinding systems better for blind people? Or how do you use sound design to make a lobby space just more hospitable or accomplish these tangible real goals? So yeah, I really, I, I don't feel like I gave up on a dream, really. I found like this kind of maybe more specific avenue of what was really interesting to me about recording in the first place. That's interesting. Just to touch on what you just said, to be clear, you're not only dealing in sound design and, and music creation for visual presentations or audio presentations, you're actually coming up with sound design for spaces, physical spaces. Yeah, a little bit. We want to do more of it. Could you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, so one of my absolute favorite projects that we've done was an, an art installation at Dolby. So I don't know if you've been down there. It's super cool. The main lobby space where you walk in, they have this video wall that's like a 62-foot long LED screen that actually wraps around a corner. So it's got this like right angle in the screen. And then the whole lobby is equipped with Dolby Atmos. So there's like, gosh, I think there's like 30 subs <laughs> in the lobby space and like 100 speakers or something like that. So you've got this really interesting, long, super vibrant screen and then just an unreal sound surround sound system for this L-shaped lobby. And that was one that a motion graphics studio brought me in for because I, I met them when I was working on another gig for Dolby down there. So what the project was is they were asked by Dolby to create an art exhibit to celebrate Blade Runner 2049 because the, the graphics studio had done a bunch of work on Blade Runner. And so they were like, okay, well, we're going to make this cyberpunk city that it's like kind of like you're looking out of a window onto this futuristic city because of the way that the screen looked and everything. It, it felt, felt really cool. And then they had this idea to do a radio drama that would play as part of it. So the way that I th thought of it was you are looking out on the city, but it's like you have a wiretap into some, somebody's conversation. So it's as if you like dropped a microphone into a scene, but then you zoomed out miles away. So you could sort of see the city and you could see like the cars and stuff moving around. I guess it probably is not miles. The perspective is hard. So they had a video game writer write this script for it and then had me kind of go, okay, well, like, how do we actually do all this? So my job was to figure out how do we take that script and distill it down into a radio drama that can work in the context of a lobby, which meant simplifying it a lot. And then what we did was we had music for all the surrounds. So there's this swirling electronic ambient music in the lobby space. And then we did sound design for what we saw on screen. And kind of coming up with all that together to work in the context that it was meant for. So it 
it's the kind of thing if you watched this on a video, it's really not very interesting. But if you're there in the space, it's serving an you know an interesting purpose and it's kind of cool to see. So that's that's one of the things that was really cool. I designed the we call it the Falcon Screech for the Atlanta Falcons. So when they score a touchdown or, or something, they want to hype the crowd up, they have this Falcon scream that they play. And that was a cool process because they were just using a red-tailed hawk before, which is like your typical like ah! <laughs> that you see and like you know it's like if you want to parody like a desert scene establishing shot right put a red-tailed hawk in there i also did the music and sound for the intro video the inspiration for that video was referencing the they have this big metal falcon sculpture out in front of the stadium that everybody walks by as they're going to the game and so in the video that thing comes to life and so my sound design was really trying to figure out like a real falcon's not going to sound good red-tailed hawk is really tinny and you play that loud and it's just painful and so we drew inspiration from like, what does that falcon sound like? The 20 foot tall metal sculpture falcon and got to work with their team there to figure out that and, and make a sound that just sounds really just super intense in the stadium. We've done car shows. We've done we did like an installation inside of a car, which was actually really handy because the car already had a sound system. So they like projected interactive data onto the, the windshield. Mm -hmm. And then we had sound that went along with that. I worked on a Pepsi machine, you know, ones with the screens. And we do a lot of apps and that kind of stuff. We got to do an app that is geared toward teaching kids with Down syndrome how to read. And to what was really satisfying with that was writing kids music and then hearing back from the consultant who was there to tell us how cognitively beneficial is this going to be said, this is exactly what it needs to be. And to me, that was really satisfying because, you know, the song itself is super silly. It's not great kids music, but it was it was serving that purpose and it's doing exactly what we needed. Where if we made something that was maybe more interesting or it would have been distracting, you know, it wouldn't have had the focus that the kids who are going to use this need. Those are the kind of things that I think we as a company are most interested in right now. Like, so we were just at a architectural firm in Seattle presenting on this kind of stuff because it is definitely like less explored when we were looking for more information, preparing for a presentation, just kind of figure out, okay, how are other people talking about this? Who all is out there? And there really aren't many companies that bill themselves as sound design for stuff that's not picture or for video games, you know? About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. What do you do to educate yourself on whether it be you know, visual technologies or audio technologies, how do you stay abreast of what's, what's happening? 
Well, what's one of the things that's great about having the Slack is people are always posting stuff that they're reading and learning. There's a new book, I think it's called Designing with Sound, that's fantastic. And it's all, it's the kind of resource I've been really looking for, where it's really just taking years and years of experience of sound design for industrial design and apps and these kinds of things and distilling that down into a really helpful guide. So reading that was really helpful. Yeah, and I think it's just kind of being on Twitter and seeing like what's coming out, what kind of interesting things are people working on and doing. And then and I honestly though, I don't I'm not super in the know of a lot of the more technical things. So we have a technical sound designer that we bring in for projects who can look at it and go, okay, these are like our technical considerations we should talk about. These are some like resources we might want to use, you know, as far as tools or or whatever. Hmm. So yeah, I guess for me, a lot of it is really like having people around who know more than me in different areas and who are interested in that stuff. But your audio background, definitely, I'm sure it would be a little more difficult to do what you do without the audio background that you have. Oh, absolutely. I think it really informs kind of just how I approach all of my work. I'm not a very good composer, but I'm a pretty good mixer and producer. And so my music is really informed by that because it's just sort of where the the skills that I'm drawing from more. This whole discussion we're having really highlights the fact that there's so many audio needs out there in the world, and sometimes they're not very obvious. And you just if you if you think outside the box and and try to you know not always go down the traditional path, you can find those things. Just some of the things you mentioned, I'm like, oh, of course, right. <laughs> yeah, if it makes a sound, somebody had to make it or at least make the decision to put it in there. Well, fantastic. To find out more about your company, it's sonosanctus.com and that's S-O-N-O-S-A-N-C-T-U-S.com. Yep, that's right. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll also put a link to the book that you mentioned. Make sure that people can find that since you find that inspirational. Well, thank you so much, Wes. It's great to talk to you and learn about this world. There's so many aspects of audio that before I die, I want to get into. And, and <laughs> it's like my bucket list of audio disciplines that I would love yeah. to you know, dip my toes into. And, and it's fascinating what you're doing. So thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking to me about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been a really nice time chatting with you. Wesley Slover here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LPUNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Want to thank everybody involved, including Mr. Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme music. There it is. Chuck Smith for his lovely voice and Anne-Marie Plough for her editing prowess. Uh, check us out on all social media platforms. Spread the word. Tell all your friends and your parents and your parents' friends and all that. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware... 
working class audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called audio life and quite simply put it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear including life hacks work-life balance health and hearing loss you know if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio this is a great place to go and check out so head on over to gearspace.com check out audio life many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com so check that out 